have a Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. This will be the second part of the, uh, the series, or the sermon that I started last week, the second, uh, second half of the sermon that we started last week together. And, on the call to discipleship. And so Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32 is where we'll be. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Luke chapter 5, verse uh, 27 through 32. So if you're physically able to do so, I do want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through verse 32. Hear the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. And after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick... I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, we are given a beautiful description of Christ's grace, the grace that is given to us in Christ, as we see not only the call to salvation, but the call to discipleship, and not just Levi, but for us as well. So help us, we pray this morning. Help us to, uh, to, to think clearly, to to understand clearly what it is that you have called us to. And so, Father, we ask that by your Spirit you would empower us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I would say that there is, um, no, um, there is no, no way to misunderstand the reality that Jesus' call to, uh, to be a disciple is also a call to disciple. Jesus' call, let me say that again, Jesus' call to be a disciple, to follow him, is also a call that extends to us making disciples of people, of people all around us, of people that, that we have opportunities, that God gives us opportunities to. And it's interesting, I think last week I told you that we see a pattern here that has emerged, whether it is in Jesus' calling of the fishermen or now here Jesus' calling of Levi, Two very distinct groups of people, but yet the pattern is the same. Uh, Jesus, uh, we saw last week, we really delved on point number one, or Jesus calls sinners to become disciples and looked at God's call, Jesus' call to Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, to, to come and follow him, right? So we saw that, we, we saw where um, we examined the unexpected call of Jesus on Levi's life, uh, we saw how society in general would look at Matthew, and we saw Christ's invitation then extended to him. And then we saw that this disciple invites other disciples to, or other people to become disciples. And so uh, we'll really look at and focus in on uh, the, the, the last uh, few points here of Jesus' invitation and how it affects Matthew, the sinner, and how then ultimately the righteous, and we'll put that in, in quotes there for us, the righteous, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious elite uh, of Jesus' day um, rejected Jesus' association with sinners, right? We, we said that Jesus' eating and drinking with sinners wasn't just to hang out with 
with them, but that his hanging out with his his eating and drinking with them ultimately led to their their crisis of faith, if you will. That is, they had to do something with Jesus. They couldn't leave. They couldn't leave the way they had come. They couldn't leave when they came into contact with Jesus. They had a they had a crisis point in which they had to decide to either follow him or to reject him. And so we saw where the righteous reject Jesus, whereby the sinners openly follow Jesus, which is really interesting. And then lastly, we saw, we saw through this, this, uh, this cycle, um, if you will, where Jesus rejects the righteous, but embraces those through his message of, 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 uh, uh, of the kingdom, uh, embrace this message and come to him. And so it, it's, it's, it's an interesting pattern of behavior that repeats itself over and over and over again throughout Jesus's ministry. You, whether, you are, whether we are religious or irreligious or, or consider ourselves uh, a-religious, right? Uh, meaning that we, we don't really uh, believe in religion at all. It, it doesn't matter when we, when when people come face to face with Jesus Christ, there is a moment that we must that where the Lord Jesus refuses to allow us to think of him simply as a as I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said allowed, allowed him to, to think to be thought of simply as a good moral teacher. And that's not the case with the Lord Jesus. You either accept him for who he is or you reject him and all of his claims. And so we saw how Levi openly, rejoicingly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and then invited others to do the same. And so let's look at verse 29 here. I know we'll go over a little bit of, of material that we covered, but that, that's okay. Um, remind ourselves here of, of exactly what we've covered. And it says this in verse 29, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And yet it's interesting that Levi did not allow, did not think of anything else. He, he threw this feast in the, in the honor of Jesus. And I think I said last week, and I'll just remind us of this reality, uh, when, when they feasted together, this wasn't like uh, us getting together and having a, 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 nice little, a nice little chat or a nice little get-together, right? It's not where we invite somebody out and sort of get to know them a little better. No, no. In, in ancient Near Eastern culture, a banquet was a significant social event that took place. It, it, it symbolized, uh, symbolized honor and celebration with, with relationship building being built in. And Jesus was, Levi threw this, this beautiful banquet, this feast in the honor of Jesus, the one who had changed his life by simply saying, come follow me. Jesus' call to Levi was a, was a call to forsake everything and come follow Jesus. And I'll say it again, I said last week and I'll say it again, Following Christ will cost us everything, Christian. This isn't a call to half-hearted discipleship or half-hearted believing. This is a call to take up your cross, abandon everything, and come follow Jesus Christ. Abandoning everything, all of our other relationships will pale in comparison if we truly are following Jesus we, our love, even for our closest and dearest relative, will look like hatred compared to our love for Christ and our willingness to sacrifice everything for the sake and the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And Levi leaves everything, throws this massive party for Jesus, this feast, this formal meal, right? Usually held in the evening, holding it in the, in the honor of Christ, but inviting those who are on the outside looking in to come and be a part of this event because he wants them Right it, again, this wasn't a lot of people today will talk about Jesus, you know, being cool and hanging out with 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 prostitutes and sinners. But Jesus didn't do this to be cool. Jesus didn't do this because he's like, oh yeah, man, look at me, I'm 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 just just putting it to the man. Right? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus Jesus did this, or, or Jesus hung out, or or he fellowshiped with these to bring them to a moment of clear decision. Either you accept and embrace me and my claims for who I am, or you must reject me outright and the claims that I hold forth. And he does this for the religious people too, right? This isn't something that he just does with, with, these, uh, with these tax collectors and sinners, right? The, these that would have been considered the worst of the worst in society, right? These, these would have very much been um, the, the, the worst of the worst in society, but he doesn't just do it with them. He does it with the religious people too. He says, you have to decide whether or not you're going to accept and embrace the claims that I am making, right? Or you must reject the claims that I am making and reject me in total. There's no, there's no halfway following Jesus. There's no thinking that Jesus is a really good guy and sort of following his, his commandments because you really like him. And there's none of that silliness. Jesus is at the center of this meal Jesus at the center of this banquet of this feast and he's not a mere guest he's the cause for the celebration he's the cause of the banquet and I would add this that we are reminded in this that there is coming another day in which we will all gather together that John saw in Revelation I believe is chapter 19 where, whereby we are gathered together at a banquet, feasting with Jesus being at the center of that banquet as well. We look forward to that day. We rejoice to, for that day to come and to come quickly. We, like John, I'm sure can often say, Amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. But at this time, Matthew gives... This banquet, Levi, of course, being his Hebrew name, Matthew being his Jewish or his Greek name, excuse me. And this was in celebration of what had happened, life transformation in Levi's life, in Matthew's life. Levi, Matthew wants Jesus, wants these, his friends, to know this same joy. And it should be true of us, right? It should be true of you and I as well. Like, like we should come to a point to where, where we want our friends and family and our neighbors and, 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 and let's just say it, everyone, everyone to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We should want to be able to enter, we should want to introduce Jesus to sinners. And if we don't, let's just be honest, there's something seriously wrong. Now, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying you have to go out and do street preaching or you have to go out and do door-to-door knocking, but I, I am saying that, that as God provides you opportunity, you and I must be willing to call sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. And so Jesus, the fact that Jesus is here at the center gathering together is highly significant. It is highly significant. Why? Because we, we have to consider the nature of the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom in our sense is not, at this time anyways, is not a geographical or political entity, right? It's a spiritual reality marked by the recognition of Jesus' authority and the living out of his teachings where we are. Because, I mean, think about this. I mean, every local church, no matter how how, um, similar or alike we may be, no one would have gathered together the people in, in, in churches, right? No one would gather together these groups of people, diverse, diverse as we are as people, whether we're talking about our likes or, or any number of things. Jesus does this, though. He brings together people who, who, who are very much like us and people who are very much not like us, people from other nations and cultures, just like we are different from other nations and cultures. And so we bring to, he brings together in this kingdom, this body, ultimately, the body of Christ, and then the kingdom as a whole, right? Not the same thing, so I want to make that clear. But, but, but the, this, this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God, he brings together just a magnificent and expansive group of people, so much so that John says that he saw worshiping before the throne people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and make no mistake, there's only one way into this kingdom, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. There's, there's not many ways, right? You don't, you don't get, to be, uh, get to go to heaven because, uh, because you go to church, because you do something nice, or because you're a good person, or, or you, keep, you try to keep, to keep the Ten Commandments. You go, to, you go to heaven, you get to heaven only because you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. And that's it. It's all of it. You look to Christ, trusting in His finished work upon the cross, we don't get to add to the work of Christ. It is Christ and Christ alone. And it's interesting that Jesus' presence here, right? That Jesus' presence here would, would have been shunned by the, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all of the, the legal uh, scholars of the Jewish law. Uh, most of these, uh, almost all of these, if not all of these, would have, been, would have not been allowed because of their impurity, their, their, their uh, ceremonial impurity, to even come into the temple. And yet Jesus, the temple of God, comes and dwells among us. And his presence among them, I think, is a vivid demonstration that he is called, as he says, come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's interesting because one brother this morning said that I'm thankful for, for God saving my unworthy soul. Brothers and sisters, none of us are better than anyone else. We didn't get to Jesus because of some, we were smarter and better and more, more strategic than everybody else. We came the same way everybody comes, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's this interesting fact that Jesus reveals to us that the political and geographical entities that make up the world's kingdoms, at least at this time, we have, the, we have the promise that, the, that, that obviously the, the kingdom is coming, but that ultimately it's not fully broken to the world yet. And so we, we look to the day in which it fully does, in which uh, the, the nations are said ultimately to be, uh, the king, become the, the kingdoms of our God and our king. But Levi, in essence, is inaugurating a, manif- a manifestation of the kingdom in his own house. 
It's a, it's a symbol, if you will, right? It's a symbol. People brought together not based upon their past sins or their societal status or their geographical or political or regional affiliations, but rather because of Christ, and only because of Christ. And then there's this invitation, right? Because he does share with them, he invites them, right? He is sharing his encounter with Jesus, with his old associates. And I would certainly say that the tax collectors and these others, these others that are deemed sinners certainly are considered his old associates. And in doing this, what is Matthew bearing witness to? What is it that Matthew exactly is saying? Well, Matthew is saying exactly what you and I should say. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the one who transformed my life by His call to believe in Him. And that's what Matthew is doing. He is sharing by making Jesus the center of, of this banquet and this feast, by making Jesus, not himself, not the other guests that he invited, but Jesus the center of this banquet and this feast. What is he saying? He is saying, I am holding this banquet in honor of the man who has transformed my life. And he introduces the Messiah of God to the people who are far from God. And in so doing, he declares the transformative and powerful call of the gospel upon the lives of sinners, of which I think all of us should be thankful for. Right? You and I were sinners. If you don't know that, you can't be saved. So if you didn't know, if you just, you just prayed a prayer and you, you don't understand your wickedness and sinfulness and your depravity and the fact that you owe God a debt that can never be paid and only paid in Christ. Like if you don't know your absolute depravity and your sinfulness and your wickedness, I don't know how you could have ever been saved. Because Jesus isn't a good idea. He's the only way to heaven. And to make Jesus a good idea is to, is to blaspheme against who Christ is. You know, following Jesus is a really good idea. No, no. Jesus will transform your life. He will transform you completely. He isn't a good idea. He is the sovereign creator that is to be worshipped. He is the Messiah of God sent to save sinners. And this invitation that Matthew then extends to the sinners, and even to the scribes and the Pharisees and the tax collectors, right? These guys were apparently also invited we don't know why. We have no reason to know why. The text doesn't tell us. We shouldn't speculate overly too much. But we know that they were obviously there, and they were there, and they were on the outskirts, and they were looking in and saying, what in the world is going on here? All the while, they could not see that what this man was doing was bringing others into contact with Jesus. Levi is playing a crucial and pivotal part in expanding his circle of disciples and discipleship by calling those who he has been formerly running around with, living hedonistically with, and dishonoring the, the, the God who has, who has created him. He now calls them, like he has now done, to align themselves with Jesus Christ. And this aligns itself perfectly with Jesus' mission, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that what you and I have been left with? The call of discipleship, the call of ministry, to, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, 
right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as a new disciple, Levi is is doing this exact thing. And it's interesting that that Levi's guests like him are, are people that are considered sinners. And yet, also the righteous. And Levi's invitation is not just an act of hospitality then, is it? It's an act of evangelism. It's an act of evangelism by bringing those who are far from God in contact with God himself. And really should model our own roles as disciples and disciple makers. As followers of Christ, we are to invite others to meet Jesus, to share by, uh, in our transformation by the power of the gospel, right? And to participate in the expansion of the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel as we go. If we want to see lives and families transformed, nations transformed and changed, it will be the gospel and the gospel only that will do that work. Because Paul says, under the power of the inspiration of the Spirit in Romans chapter 1, it is the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to Jew and Gentile alike. And if we want to see nations transformed and lives changed, we want to see our nation transformed, it will come by us making disciples and preaching the gospel and making disciples, and preaching the gospel. I should have said that first, but preaching the gospel and making disciples, and preaching the gospel and making disciples. That is how our nation will be transformed. But this is all a little too much for the righteous guys and the righteous folks. It's all just a little too much for them because we have the righteous then, and I put that again in in quotes, the righteous, right? So we should say the self-righteous who reject Jesus and his ministry. The self-righteous who reject Jesus and his ministry in Luke chapter 5, verse 30. What's it say here? And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you start doing ministry of reading and reaching people with the gospel and all of a sudden you've got some self-righteous people out there and it's like huh, how dare you i think it was i think it was uh dwight moody uh, who was criticized uh, for for some of his and, and trust me i have many 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 theological differences with dwight moody but he had a passion for the gospel most certainly and he, it was interesting because one lady told him once uh, criticized him for the for how he was doing it so he asked her how she does it and she couldn't respond and he replied well then i like the way i do it Now, certainly we should, obviously, can't take that to any length of of silliness, right? We need to make sure that our ministries are biblical and within the keeping of God's word. But it is true, we need to be about the king, we need to be about the king, King Jesus in all things. Whether that's sharing a meal, sharing criticism for the sake of the gospel, right? Because the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they all knew that this wasn't a casual act. This was, a, this was a significant social event that embodied fellowship and, and, and willingness to, to relate to those who are not like our types of people. And so therefore, in the eyes of the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus' act of dining with tax collectors and senders was, was actually was very scandalous. To us, we're like, oh, you know, who, who cares? But our society isn't, isn't quite like ancient Near, ancient Near Eastern society, is it? 
And so eating with people was seen as a, as a, as a horrific thing because it broke with the rigid purity laws and social boundaries of the time. And understand, when I say pure, rigid purity laws, I'm talking about self-imposed purity laws that the Pharisees and the scribes and the others had, had imposed on people, not what the Old Testament prescribes for religious ceremonial and cleanness and uncleanness. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they're, they're considering all these people sinners. All the while, they cannot see their own sin. They're looking at others saying, huh, how dare Jesus eat and drink and talk and fellowship with those types of people. All the while, they could not see they were those types of people. And so the mission continued. Jesus inaugurating a new kingdom into the world, a kingdom where the unclean are made clean and sinners are welcomed into fellowship with the king through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The Pharisees and the scribes, for all their political and religious and biblical knowledge, couldn't quite grasp this. They had to adhere to their standards of righteousness and purity, not the ones that God had prescribed, but the ones that they thought God would be pleased with. You can still find a lot of those still today if, if, you, if you look up the, an English translation of the Babylonian Talmud or the Jerusalem Talmud. There are actually two or three different Talmuds, but you can go look those up and you can see where, where the, the rabbis had throughout the years had taken the oral law and basically wrote it down, adding their things to it. And this is what they were following. And they were angry and re, because Jesus wasn't following their rules. And it really does reflect, I think, on their part, their an inability to comprehend the radical grace that God gives through Christ. It is God who alone can take a sinner, whatever their sin is, whether they are simply a, uh, they, are, they are outwardly and externally keeping all the rules and regulations, but in, internally they are, they are depraved and wretched and sinful in their own hearts or whether they are the most wretched, sinful, wicked sinner you can possibly find on the face of this earth. The reality is that both are sinners, and it's only God's radical saving grace through Jesus Christ that comes and redeems such a sinner and makes them into a saint of God. And it really does serve for you and I to be a powerful reminder to ensure that our understanding of righteousness aligns with God's standard of righteousness and not to allow legalism to blind us to the radical grace of God. What if God brought in this morning someone that was tattooed head to toe with nose rings and piercings and everything else? Would you let that get in the way of what God may be doing in that sinner's life? If you would, then congratulations. You are caught in legalism. Don't let your legalism blind you or I to the radical nature of the grace of God that is ours only in Christ. Because I will tell you, I have friends 
that you would look at me and think, you know what, that dude, he's a pretty clean-cut dude. But you look at some of my friends and the people that I, I, I hang out with sometimes, and you think, what in the world is that preacher doing? And they're brothers in Christ. They're sisters in Christ who have been transformed from their previous lifestyles by the grace of God in Christ. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the doctors of the law, they, they prided themselves in strict adherence to the Mosaic law and all kinds of oral traditions. And they believed that God would be pleased with their types of righteousness. And they believed that if they could just be meticulous in observance of all their laws and their norms, that God would somehow like them and love them and save them. But that's not how any of this works. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the concept that righteousness is an external and works-based way for us to get, on, to get on God's good side in order to be transformed and to somehow God to measure my righteousness by my standards is to absolutely lower the God of the Bible to our own standards. It's to misunderstand and skew and, and have our, our perception of, of what Jesus says it requires to follow Christ. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they didn't see any Savior that stood before them. They saw a guy breaking the law. And their misunderstanding skewered their perception of their, of, of their need for Jesus. And, 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 and even more so, how much do you have to hate someone? To look at them and say, you know what? You're too much of a sinner. You can't follow Jesus. And would rather consign their soul to hell than to realize what God in Christ does for sinners. Now, now surely, I, I, I'm not saying that, that we should lower our, our understanding in matters of holiness. So I, I, want, you to, I want to be clear on that. But we need to understand that people get saved from all kinds of backgrounds. And we need to understand and be okay if God decides to save a hundred bikers or drug addicts or alcoholics or just people like you and me. You see, their rejection, the Pharisees' rejection, the scribes and the Sadducees' rejection kept them from Christ, kept them from the saving grace of God. They couldn't comprehend a salvation that could come and actually say, you know what, repent and believe and trust in me, and I will save you. And so Jesus does the only thing that he can do. It's the thing that he will do at the end of time when he will say to those on his left, those to his right, to the left, depart. And they'll say, but Jesus, like we cast out demons and we fasted and we did all this stuff. And he says, I never knew you. And Jesus rejects the self-righteous. Jesus rejects those who cannot and will not see that they are sinners. And this is why Jesus says what he says in this parable. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why? Well, someone could say, well, see, the, well, the Pharisees, Jesus just called the Pharisees righteous. Well, no, that's not what he's doing here. 
He is saying that they are the righteous, but he is using this as a parable against them, as he often does, saying, see, these guys, they cannot come because they can't see their own sin. They can't see the danger of their own self-righteousness and their own legalism. They cannot see it. They refuse to see it. They won't see it. And so Jesus uses this, this proverb, this metaphor, this profound statement of his essence, that it captures his essence of the mission that he has been sent on on this earth. And it is a, it is a rebuke. It is a gentle rebuke as well as, a, as, a, as an open rebuke to these scribes and Pharisees, as, as well as for those sinners who came and refused and rejected the, the statements and the, the profound call and, and the profound message of Jesus. And this is true for us still today, whether we are tax collectors and sinners or we're self-righteous Pharisees. Jesus says to us that the healthy are called to repentance. And they come because they know that they're sick. But those who don't know they're sick, they cannot come because they refuse to acknowledge they're sick. It's like saying to someone, a doctor saying to someone, hey, guess what? You're dying of cancer. And that person's saying, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. You need this medicine or you're going to die. And then looking back at him and saying, uh, no, I'm not. You can't help that person. You can't help that person. That person refuses to help, to be helped. Which I understand is, is saying nothing of God's sovereignty and His grace and saving sinners. Right? We understand that. But, but just from, a, from our perspective and our level, the sick know that they're sick and they know they need Christ. They come to Christ for healing and wholeness of their sin-sick souls. And I think the response here is just as relevant for us today as it was for then. And it, serves, it reminds us that we can't be so self-righteous to look at somebody and say, nope, don't want them in the kingdom. Nope, don't want them in my church. Nope, don't want them. When we're called to preach the gospel to sinners... When Tim and I go to, when we've been to, we've only been able to go once. We're, Lord willing, in this new year, we'll go more. But we've been on NKU campus. Man, we've seen everything. Some girl dressed up like a baby doll. Like, literally, like, had a bonnet on like a baby and everything else, right? Blue hair, all kinds of crazy stuff, piercings everywhere. But you know what? The call of the gospel should be as clear to them as the guy who's dressed in a three-piece suit and goes and earns $500,000 a year or $100,000 a year or $125,000 a year or the stay-at-home mom or whatever. The gospel message should be just as clear to whoever hears and God is pleased to draw to salvation. So let us follow Jesus. Full stop. No questions. No stipulations. No boundaries. Follow Jesus. And let us be open then to building relationship with those in our lives or God may bring to, into our lives so that we, we can see barriers broken and lives transformed by the power of the gospel. I think it was C.H. Spurgeon who said if someone, and this is my, my, my paraphrase of what he said, but if, if, if someone is, is going to go to hell, let them do so because they have to leap over our bodies to get there.
Let that be our heart. Let that be our heart. Again, I'm not saying you, you need to start going to crazy places to meet people. You just simply need to be faithful where you are. And whoever God brings into your path, whoever God brings into your life, let us rejoice in that call to make disciples. We can't have an unfit title for anyone who responds to the gospel. We must stay firm in our understanding of the gospel. We must stay firm in our, 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 our insistence on God's word and God's holiness and, and what God calls us, that God calls us to holiness. But we must make disciples of all nations. And we must not allow anything to stop us from the mission of making disciples. Zero. None. Nada. We must be open and willing for the Lord to do his sovereign work in saving sinners. Whoever that may be. Let us rejoice as the angels rejoice. As those who, 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 who are in heaven rejoice when sinners are saved. Let us rejoice as that. Let's pray. Father. We know we have looked at a, at a passage, at a text that is, that, is, uh, that is wondrous and glorious to us. Uh, it is beautiful because in Christ we, are, we, we see the transformation in Matthew's life. And we see his desire to bring his friends and neighbors, perhaps even family members, to, 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 this, to the same knowledge, to bring them to faith in Christ, to introduce them to Jesus. Give us that same passion, I pray. That, that whoever you may bring to our lives, whether we're stay-at-home moms or we're, we're factory workers or, or, or we're teachers or doctors or lawyers or whatever the case may be, Father, retired, that we would be faithful where we are to invite others to know Jesus. Not the Jesus of our imagination, not the Jesus of progressive Christianity, but the Jesus of Scripture, drawing them to faith in Christ. May you do so for your sake and your glory's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.